Welcome to the Parenting with Confidence podcast. I am your host, Teresa Alexander Inman, board certified behavior analyst and infant toddler developmental specialist. Today, I have the honor of interviewing my friend, um, Suzanne Kramer, who is a certified trauma and resilience practitioner in education. Um, with 22 years of education, of experience in special education. Um, it makes me sound so old. <laughs> <laughs> you look lovely. Nothing old about you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're welcome, my friend. Yeah, so, see how I pick my friends? I have friends, my friends have titles. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel more important when that happens. <laughs> I, it does, doesn't it? So it's like, I, I, I know when I went through the certification and I found out I could have letters after my name, it was a very exciting thing. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah. So we're going to just jump in, you know, take a deep breath and then let's just go into it. Um, all right. So as a trauma expert, I've always wondered, you know, and I'm asking you this, Suzanne. Okay. How, like, how does, how do uh, uh, things in life, how do experiences in life affect children? And because I know from our conversations, you've said that it starts very early on. So if you could first tell us how early and then, you know, what are the effects, what are the possible effects um, of trauma on children? Well, trauma can actually begin in utero, Teresa, um, which people don't I realize other than, you know, we know that um, children who have been exposed to um, drugs or alcohol in utero, we know that can affect development. Um, but something that I learned when I was going through this process is that um, our own hormones can affect as well. So if we are chronically stressed um, and for people who are worrying about money or going through a divorce or, you know, experiencing some pretty heavy things while the mother is pregnant, those abnormal levels of cortisol can affect um, development too. Just like when we are stressed, our heart rate goes up, our body floods with cortisol, you know, our brain doesn't think the way that it normally does. All those things are then passed to the child. So when their body is developing, their nervous system is developing, their brain is developing in utero, all those things affect there. Um, and then from the moment they come out of the mother, you know, from the moment the child is born, um, trauma can happen that early too. Um, we think about the big things, you know, abuse, sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse, but there are a lot of other things that can happen too um, that cause a whole lot of stress that we don't think about. And one of the biggest ones is any type of serious childhood uh, illness, cancer, you know, being sick, being in the, being born prematurely and being in, you know, the NICU for several weeks at a time, all those things can affect development as well. So trauma is a very big umbrella, but just like it affects us, it affects kids from, you know, the moment they're conceived. Wow. See, you said a couple of things that honestly, I have goosebumps right now because my baby was born prematurely and I'm like, oh my gosh. So he was born into trauma. 
like his whole that whole experience for him well so exactly and you you don't think about that but when your child is born prematurely not all of the systems are necessarily fully developed so from the moment that the child comes out they're supposed to be bonding and you know all the love and the attention that goes back and forth and all, and not that those things don't still happen but while those things are happening for a child who's born prematurely, that body is also trying to catch up and those systems are still developing. But now instead of developing in a very controlled environment, like in the mother, those things are now happening in an environment, uh, a hospital where there's beeping, there's loud noise, there's lights. And so you have two things happening at once. And as you know, when you're multitasking, things don't always get the attention that they should. And the same thing happens with a developing child. Wow, I never thought of that. Cause I know for me, when, I, when we went to visit my baby, every time the alarm went off, I mean, they had to find me a chair because I mm -hmm. was just like, oh my gosh, is he okay? They're like, he's moving. I was like, okay, but you don't even think about that. All you hear is the beeping and not, and not just the beeping of his machines, the other baby's machines. I honestly never, ever put that together as being like a traumatic event for him. I know it was a traumatic event for myself, but oh my gosh, my baby, I feel so selfish now not thinking about what he must have been going through. Thank you for opening my eyes. <laughs> You're welcome. It's the things you learn as you go. And when you realize that all of these things that you experience while your foundation is being set, your brain foundation, your body foundation, while you're learning to walk and do all those things. And then you have all those things affecting that, that's gonna translate down the road. And it, it's just fascinating to me. Um, and it's something we all, I think, need to be aware of, not just as educators, but as people interacting with children. Where were you when my baby was born? I would have known all of this and probably done some things a whole lot differently. <laughs> oh, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and I, you learn as you go, and then you take that knowledge and then you pass it on, uh, yeah. and that's how we learn and grow. We're always learning, exactly. <laughs> and that is why we're here. Because I mean, yes, it's too late for me because my baby's thirty six. So now we can help all the parents who are going through this and help them understand what is going on with their baby. So I am so grateful that, you know, you're able to share this wealth of knowledge because I'm, I'm truly excited about this. Um, so tell us though, what ways, in what ways um, can trauma affect a child? What do you see in a baby that can give us some clues that they've experienced trauma? Well, it may, that's really tricky because it manifests differently in, in every child and in every person. And I think that's what part of what makes it so difficult. I, we always look as educators for patterns and, you know, so, and then, oh, well, this is happening. So we do this and then we fix it and we move on. But a lot of it depends on what the trauma was. A lot of it depends on when it happens to the child. 
And then a lot of it also depends on what we call their resilience factors are. So what supports does the child have around them? Do they have someone who understands? Do they have a calm environment to go home to? Or are they going home to an environment where the parents are stressed and everybody is stressed? So it's, it's really not a, a one size fits all question. Um, but one of the biggest things I think, at least in my experience that I have seen is there are over exaggerated reactions. And um, what I mean by that, I, there's a comedian that I really like cried called Christopher Titus. And one of the things he experienced trauma as a child. And one of the things he says is that, you know, for someone who has an experience you know, has experienced some of those things, the toilet's going to overflow. It's like, oh, is there no God? The toilet is overflowed. Um, and that happens a lot uh, with children, you know, where they don't get the candy that they want or, you know, something didn't go as they had planned. And then we have a great big meltdown. Um, it can be a very anxious moving child, a child who's always on the go. And then another one I think that is not as, widely recognized is the child that we say who is hyper aware. And what that means is that's the child that knows what everybody's doing all of the time, anywhere they are. They know what Susie's doing. They know what Johnny's doing. They know what you're doing. They're asking you a million questions. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? What are you doing? What are we having next? Why are we doing that? Why you got that? They notice all those little details. Um, and part of that is a survival skill. Um, that happens a lot with children who have experienced some type of abuse or a child who's in a chaotic household. Um, and so that's one of the ways they survive is by knowing what's going on around them. It also can serve as a deflection for a child who doesn't feel like they are doing very well by looking and pointing out what's going on around them. They take the attention off of themselves. Wow. <laughs> and I can think of so many children, you know, that <laughs> we have worked with Yes. That I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, because I know like there is some, you know, we work together and what are you doing, Mrs. Kramer? Why are you doing that, Mrs. Kramer? Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I never would have put that together. And I know you educated me when we worked together because yes, I'm a behavior analyst and, you know, there, we approach things sometimes a little differently, always for the same end, because we both love children and want to do the best for them but I was not aware of the trauma piece of it. And I am so grateful for you for what you have taught me with respect to trauma. I am now more aware of, you know, how sometimes I have to approach a child because you approach one child one way and it works. You approach another child the same way and it's like, oh, you know, so... And that's, that's something that we run into a lot. And that's, it's really hard... I think to explain sometimes because we all see, and I, I think all of us have been in the store and seen the child having the meltdown in the store. And then you, you make assumptions as you go by, oh, you know, what did that, what did that parent do or what? But there are a lot of different reasons that child can be screaming. Okay. So they're screaming and they're crying, but you know, if a child has autism, it could be the noise is too loud. If the child has been experienced an abusive background, there's something that scared the child. And children and even young adults don't necessarily have the capability to go, oh, I'm scared, but I'm in a safe place right now. For them, 
being scared is hardwired into their foundation. So all they know is when they're scared, I go into fight or flight because I have to survive. They can't distinguish between a good fear or good scare or something that's non-threatening versus a scare that is threatening. Wow. So honestly, my mind is blown right now and I'll (laughs) tell you why. I went to a family's this morning and this little guy, um, I don't think he's two yet, but anyway, he's, uh, as soon as I got there, I mean, he saw me and he started screaming. So I'm like, okay, (laughs) here's this strange black woman walking into your house. you know, and like he was, he's a COVID baby, I hate to say, but that's how mom described it, right? He was born in the COVID era. Mm-hmm. So first, when people came to their house, their mask, their this, their that, and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Secondly, again, I don't know how many Black people is exposed to. So here I walk into the house and I'm thinking, maybe that's what it is. Because I don't know, as a Black person, we just tend to do that. And I, it's not always right. But, you know, you always think maybe it's because like I'm new. You know what I mean? Like he's just not been exposed to Black people. So anyway, um, so he's just, I mean, screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed. And I, but I just kept talking to mom and, you know, working with her and just telling, you know, just instructing her on things to do. Maybe 15 minutes into it, he looked at me and smiled. I was like, okay, we're good. And then we started playing together. And he was, I mean, even though he's not vocal, we're actually having a give and take, you know? Cause I'd say something and then he'd be like, hmm. I said, oh my gosh, that's right. And we were talking back and forth and mom's like, oh my gosh, he has done so much in the time that I was there than he did any other time. But what really caught me that you said, he was born prematurely. Exactly. So you don't know. Um, and for being born in COVID is obviously that's affected all of us uh, in very traumatic ways for a variety of reasons. But if his only experience with other people um, or people who are black, people who are colored was in the hospital, maybe his NICU nurse was a black woman. So to see you when he hasn't seen other people, that could just send him right back. Oh my gosh, I was in the hospital. My blood was getting drawn. I never got enough sleep. You know, they can't rationalize all those things. So all he knows is that reminded him of something very traumatic. So he's going to react appropriately the same way we would. You know, if you've been bitten by a dog, you see a dog, you have that moment of fear until you can rationalize out. It's the same thing for children, only they don't have that capability to analyze the way we do. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And like I said, <laughs> just you saying that, you know, talking about the premature babies and mom mentioned he was premature. I was like, okay. You know, and then the fact that, I mean, it, towards the end, we were just playing and he was pointing and doing all kinds of amazing things. So, you know, he got comfortable with me. Um, which was awesome. But yeah, but in the beginning, I was just like, oh my Lord, like I'm traumatizing this <laughs> child because here I am, like the stranger coming into his house and, you know, yeah. Just- and you're scary anyways. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I did want to just kind of touch on something that you had said, you know, maybe it was the first time that this child had been exposed to uh, a person who was black. There are a lot of secondary traumas that can happen to children just from watching the news and the things they see on TV. So 
you know, even if you don't have any direct experience, if all you're seeing portrayed or all you're hearing around you is negative experience, negative experience, negative experience, and that's what's presented to you, that can have effect in how a child interacts as well. So, you know, that is always something, unfortunately, we have to be mindful of in this day and age. Yeah, I didn't even think of that either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're having this conversation because, you know, working in the classrooms, we don't get a lot of time to really talk about things. And I'm really glad. <laughs> or have a conversation or eat lunch. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> or it's like, hey, I need to run to the restroom. I need somebody to make sure that, you know, like asking can I go to the again. bathroom, please? <laughs> and that is traumatic, just yeah. so you know. <laughs> Yeah, we've had some fun times in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you. So we talked about some types of trauma um, and uh, you've mentioned, um, you know, just from our conversations, windows of brain development. Um, could you talk a little bit more about that, please? Sure. Um, and this is one that, this is one of those things that, is going to affect the child for the rest of their life. And we don't always think of this, you know, we think of education as happening when the child hits school, but the child is learning from the time they come out. And 80 to 90% of brain development happens before ages five to six, depending on the child. So before that child is even in kindergarten, the majority of their brain, the foundation per se is set. Now, within those first five years of life, we know the kids learn to walk and they learn to talk. And there are certain times in a child's life when those things are supposed to happen. And if those things don't happen the way they're supposed to, when they're supposed to, that has a profound effect on how their brain becomes set. And, um, I, I knew this as an educator, but I learned this firsthand with my daughter. Um, we found out at age three that her vision was so poorly developed in her left eye that uh, the brain had actually started shutting off her vision um, to her left eye. And if we had waited even you know, three or four months more, she would have been blind in her left eye. Um, and there's nothing that hits you in the gut so much as going, oh my gosh, something's wrong with my baby. And I didn't know. Um, but, you know, their vision develops um, very critically, you know, by nine months. Um, we know that language is supposed to happen from the time they start babbling until, you know, they're three, four, or five. Those when, is when that foundation for language is developed. And the nervous system also starts developing, you know, very crucially, and we talked about that a little bit earlier, you know, when the child comes out and the child cries, you know, they're supposed to be comforted, you know, given those things and they're learned that their needs are met. So when those things don't happen, when they should, the brain develops alternative pathways. So if you think about the best analogy that I can give is that brain is supposed to develop kind of like a highway in a line. Well, if something happens and that gets interrupted, 
that brain's going to make alternative pathways for it. So instead of a line to get to where it needs to go, it might be a roundabout and a loop-de-loop and a detour. So it's not going to be smooth, those things, that learning is not going to happen later in the way that it's supposed to because of what happened when they were younger. Wow, incredible. Um, you know, honestly, and this is why I became an infant toddler developmental specialist, because I wanted to start impacting children very early in life, because, you know, by the time we see them in kindergarten, there's so much that could have been done. And it has just like, it's so frustrating for me that even today in America, you know, which is supposed to be the most progressive country in the world, um, that still parents don't know. Like the last person I interviewed for my podcast was a mom who I told about um, early steps because she had no idea that these, you know, these services existed. The mom who I met today, she had no idea. Her It just so happens that she has a cousin who's a speech therapist. And only because of that did she know that she had there were services available for her to help her child. So it is so, it's alarming that, you know, in this day and age, that still there's so little information to parents about the services that could help their child meet those milestones that they're, you know, deficient in. Correct. And uh, unfortunately, you know, when things get tight, those are the first services that are cut. Um, I worked for Help Me Grow in Ohio, which is similar, very similar, the equivalent of early steps here. Um, and in the time that I worked there, we went from having working with children that were at risk to the funding being cut to working with only those children that had very significant needs or significant disabilities. Uh, the problem for a child who's at risk where you see things lagging a little bit behind or you know there might be a problem, we can wait and see, we'll take a wait and see approach. But the problem is by the time you wait and see, and you wait and see, and you wait and see, the more of those windows of development that have closed. So the less chance that you have of that child, I don't wanna say fully recovering, but you know, becoming more stable and more their development being strong. And I do wanna say just because Things don't happen until school starts. That doesn't mean that we've lost, it's hopeless, but those things become a lot harder to remedy or they become a lot harder to intervene because that foundation is set. So the earlier that you get out there, the earlier that you can get help and services, obviously the better. Exactly. And I just want to actually just again repeat you know, if your child is lagging, if there is, if you notice that your child is not meeting developmental milestones, contact somebody, talk to your doctor. Now, you know, the last person I interviewed, the mom, she said that she did tell her doctor and the doctor kept saying, well, he's a boy, he's this. Get a second opinion. If that a second third opinion, opinion a fourth opinion. opinion. Yes. Keep pushing. Um, and this is something that I have come across I here in Florida more so than I, I did in Ohio for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's just the areas that I'm working in or now that I'm more involved in the trauma piece, but I have ran into a lot of parents since I have moved here that are saying, you know, they, 
didn't listen. I don't think they read. I, they didn't hear what I was saying. Um, don't stop and don't underestimate your mommy gut. And it doesn't have to be a glaring, oh, my child's not talking by age two. It doesn't have to be anything glaring. If something seems off or you're not sure, talk and keep talking um, because physicians don't know everything either. Exactly. exactly. None of us do. That's right. And we're not blaming anyone. We're just saying no, 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 no. they don't know and just get the help. Go reach out, talk to as many people as you can, you know, throw it out there. Infant toddler developmental specialist, early steps, you know, um, birth to three, whatever it is, we're just giving you the language, the different people that you could, you know, because in different states, they call them different things. So just reach out to some early intervention people. Um, or talk to your doctor about early intervention people. Because I would rather that you got all the testing and they said, okay, these are the few areas and this is what we can do. Or they even say, hey, listen, you know what? We're fine. Then your gut goes to rest. And then, but at least you know that you did the testing, you know where your child needs help and that way you can get the help that's needed. And there is... Um... For some of us, I know some of us get really intimidated when we talk to doctors because the doctors are supposed to know and they may come in and it's very fast. The CDC, uh, cdc.gov, has a checklist for uh, six months, nine months, all the way up to, I believe it goes up to 12 years. Um, uh, these are things that should be happening. These are things that should be happening. This is when to talk to your doctor you know, if you don't see, or if you have questions about this, and then it also has how to talk to your doctor or some things you can say, like keywords or buzzwords. And sometimes for some doctors, they have to see it, you know, so it's a quick checklist you can print out. Is my child doing this? Is my child not doing this? And that's, I find it a helpful resource and I give it to all my families that I work with um, just because it's a good thing to have and to check in with. Exactly. And you know, Suzanne, that's exactly why I wrote my book. How can I help my child communicate? Because those guidelines are there, but then the child, the parents don't know what to do. And sometimes waiting for services could take so long. Some parents wait years for services because of the lack of providers. They wait so long for services that they, you know, they're losing out on like precious time. Correct. So a very short book. And um, you can find it at fireeyebooks.com. Um, it'll be available for pre-order on Monday. <gasps> yeah. Yay! Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So with that, Suzanne, we're going to end for today, but we are going to come back and do our second part because we're going to tell parents exactly, give them tips and tools of what they can do to help their child parent with confidence. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Teresa. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining me.